Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbV. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com slash stuff right now, and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF, and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Hey, everybody. We want to let you know that we are doing our traditional Pacific Northwest swing for our live show next year. In fact, the end of January next year, very early next year. And we're starting out in Seattle, Washington on January 24th at the Paramount Theater. It's huge. That's right. And then on to Portland on January 25th at Revolution Hall, the place we always are. It's kind of our home away from home in Portland. And then we're going to wrap it all up at the thing that started the Pacific Northwest tour in the first place all those years back, SF Sketchfest. We'll be at the Sydney Goldstein Theater on Friday, January 26th. Right, Chuck? That's right. And remember, you can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com, click on tours in order to get to the correct ticket link or go to the venue page only. Do not go to scalper sites. That's right. And we'll see you guys in January. Okay? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and, well, I was going to say Jerry's here, but that would be a dirty, filthy lie. <laughs> True. She's it's, not here. It's you and me, Chuck. Yeah, I was about to say just like the old days, but Jerry was around from the beginning. I wasn't around from the beginning. Man, so I guess this is uh, a periodical situation we find ourselves in, just like the <laughs> periodical situation. Uh, can I uh, say a couple of quick things here? Yes. First of all, uh, I want to congratulate listener Corey Wegner because this topic is from Corey. Nice. Way to go, Corey. Yeah. Listener suggestion, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and also want to officially uh, welcome uh, Mr. Gibson Bryant into the family, the new puppy. Oh, yeah. He's cute. He's cute. Uh, Gibson is uh, was being fostered through the Lifeline organization that we work with a lot here in Atlanta. And uh, foster mom Rachel was just wonderful. And Gibson's a little coonhound shepherd mix. And he's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's great. So far, so good. He's just, the, he and the cats, they got to they gotta work it out. So far, uh, it's not great. Oh, no. So it, it just takes a little time. I figure, you know, a week or two usually is uh, as based on like uh, when we've dog sat other dogs. Uh-huh. Because the cats love dogs, our dogs, but like a new dog comes in and they're like. Yeah, they've got to, so, he has to prove himself to them. Yeah, they just got to, you know, they got to work it out. It'll take a little time, but he's a very sweet boy. Um, he looks he's, like he's fitting right in. 
He looks like it. I guess you've posted pictures on your Instagram page. Uh, yeah, Gibson's on there. Uh, Chuck the podcaster. If you want to check out this handsome little leggy boy. Nice. Well, welcome, Gibson. Congratulations, Chuck. Yeah, to the stuff you should know, family. The stuff you should know, army. Uh, see where this is going. It is. I normally would have just left it at, yes, the Stuff You Should Know family, but the reason the Stuff You Should Know Army ties in is because we're talking about armies, but fake armies. And (laughs) believe it or not, the Stuff You Should Know Army is a fake army. Oh, really? There's not a lot of, like, international conflict or killing or shooting of machine guns with the Stuff You Should Know Army. So, yes, I would say it's a fake army. Well, what's the very definition of army? I don't even know. A group that engages in international conflicts and kills and shoots machine guns? Actually, uh, well, no. It can be a large number of people uh, organized for a purpose, like an army of photographers. I I guess so. I think those are called gaggles, though. (laughs) Okay. Geese and the photographers. Okay. No offense, men, of course, who are great people at the Stuff You Should Know Army. Oh, of course Because they're the greatest. Yeah, so there are other armies that are whose um, um, patterns of killing are questionable at best. And that right. includes both the <laughs> Salvation Army, but less so the Skeleton Army. Because if any of the groups I've just mentioned just now bore the closest resemblance to an army, it would be the Skeleton Army. Probably. And this is one I had not even heard of until Corey Wegner sent this in. Same. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought we should dive in. Um, a little bit on the Salvation Army first, probably, right? Yeah, I'm sure people are like, well, guys, what are you talking about with the Salvation Army? Just wait, hold your horses, please. Yeah, you've probably heard of the Salvation Army. They are, uh, I mean, they're an international organization at this point, right? Yes, uh, they have been doing it since the 1870s, I believe, late 1870s. Um, and their their mission is to... um basically combat poverty where it's at. Like they go to where poverty is at. And apparently in the United States alone, they serve 23 million people a year. So they're doing some significant work. And I don't want to walk past the fact that they're also a pretty controversial organization, especially today. Um, They're a a Christian organization, a Protestant Christian organization at its core from their founding. So they have um, uh, sometimes... um, unfriendly views or have held unfriendly views toward LGBTQ plus um, community. And now they've kind of revised it to say like, yeah, we don't, we don't mind. Just don't tell us that you're gay. You can come work with us anytime you want. And that's not quite enough. But at the same time, there's people who are on the conservative um, Christian right who are like, that's too far. So right. the Salvation Army finds itself in a very ticklish position right now. Um, and I just, that doesn't have anything to do with this particular episode, but I think it'd be kind of disingenuous to, to just not mention that at all. Yeah. Uh, they were founded by a gentleman named George Booth. Uh, he was born in England in Nottingham in 1829 Mm -hmm. and was a Methodist preacher, uh, at first and was, you know, the picture I get of George Booth from kind of reading up on him Mm -hmm. is that. He kind of from the start was a bit of a rabble rouser within the church as far as like, you know, he was into street preaching. He was uh, frustrated with the with the sort of formalities of the church, the mm-hmm. hierarchies of the church mm-hmm. uh, probably felt like, you know, the church isn't helping the people that are most in need. Yeah. Was maybe a little too disconnected 
from uh, poverty and like the the real people out on the streets. And so that was sort of his, it seems like he was charged from the beginning, like within himself to do something bigger than just be a standard Methodist preacher. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I get the impression you kind of touched on it that he probably viewed the church as an institution as really detached from the people who needed its help most. So he started an organization. He decided to kind of go help people where they're at. So he started street preaching, apparently based on American revivalists of the early 19th century. Um, And like he would just stand on the street corner and preach. And so too would his wife. Um, This is a time where if you were super religious like this and you said women can preach too and let's go Mm -hmm. help the poor directly, that was deeply progressive at the time in England. England was so ridiculously stodgy conservative that Mm -hmm. I read about a a magazine um, that in its inaugural edition promised that it would do um, nothing to to help along this this morbid desire for change, that they were just going to keep things exactly the way that they were. And that's what the establishment wanted. People like George Booth are like, that's not working for a whole huge segment of society. Yeah, his wife, Catherine uh, Mumford, when they married, uh, played a big part, played a big part in this whole story, actually. So uh, you can kind of put a, no, don't put a pin in her. She's she's there. I can no see pin. the skeleton army putting a pin in her. <laughs> no pin necessary, or maybe flinging a dead rat her way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in 18, as the story goes, at least in 1878, uh, he was dictating a letter and he said the Christian mission uh, is a volunteer Army, capital C, capital M. Mm-hmm. And then he said, no, 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 strike that. And perhaps struck it himself and crossed out volunteer and wrote down salvation, uh, a salvation army. And that was sort of, you know, I, salvation army is so ubiquitous, especially around Christmas time in the United States when mm-hmm. they, uh, you will, people, I think, generally sort of associate salvation army with either dropping off uh, clothes and toys that you don't want at a Salvation Army store sure. or buying things from a Salvation Army store or or around Christmas <laughs> when they have Santa Clauses ringing that bell uh, with that kettle outside and they are asking people to donate their spare change or what have you. Yes. And if, you know, by Christmas time you get annoyed at that ringing of the bell that you hear all the time, mm-hmm. count your lucky stars that you weren't born in England in the uh, 1870s, because you would have been super annoyed by the Salvation Army at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, that was sort of my deal with the Salvation Army. That's how I knew them. Uh, and I do. I knew they did, you know, obviously a lot of charitable works, but I didn't really ever stop to think about the whole army thing, uh, the, the military aspect, because when I right. uh, earlier said like an army can be just a collection of people, that wasn't how they meant it. Like they meant it as in, you know, not we're going to take up arms, but they gave themselves, they wore uniforms. They gave themselves military ranks. Uh, Booth named himself the general. And it became like, I think their newspaper was called the War Cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, their initiation creed were called the Articles of War. So they really sort of, uh, I don't want to say leaned into, I'm really trying to stop saying that. <laughs> they were um, <laughs> army forward. <laughs> yeah, they were very army forward in a sort of militaristic sense. But again, not like, hey, we're going to, you know, start a real war. But they were just like, we're, we're warriors for 
for Christ, basically. Yeah. To be initiated, you had to kill a man with your bare hands. <laughs> they were pretty serious about the army thing. Yeah. But the reason that they were so into the army, that was part of the zeitgeist at the time. This is the Victorian yeah. age. The, um, the English empire is at its peak at the time. And the English empire got that way because of the military. So the military is highly regarded. Um, so it kind of made sense to, to kind of go with that. It'd be like today. Um, <clears throat> oh, boy. It'd be like fashioning <laughs> yourself after the Swifties. If you were founding, like, a new rescue mission organization. I wouldn't mess with them. No, you would, you would not. So he, had, he, he established this in pretty short order. Um, he, he started to use the Salvation Army to, to just— it, it, it was set up to, to achieve his aims. Mm-hmm. And his aims we've kind of touched on a little bit, but they're pretty straightforward. And the, the biggest one, really, is— if you want to help poor people, go to the poor people and help right. them directly. That's how yeah. you help poor people. That That's just what you have to do. You have to get your hands dirty as it was. That was pretty much the foundation of, of the Salvation Army. And from what I can tell, it's a big part of it still today. Yeah, absolutely, which is great. Uh, their mantra was uh, soup, soap, salvation. Uh, in other words, you know, help feed the poor. Help, uh, I mean, soap, I don't think they literally meant to help clean them, but they, they may have. Uh, just sort Hold of still. To, to, I think that sort of stood for uh, lift people out of poverty and, uh, and also bring them to Christ. I mean, that was a big part of it. Uh, we can't ignore that. And as to it who? pertains, say what? Bring them to who? Christ, Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. I got gotcha. <laughs> you. Th- do you think I meant Jimmy Christ? <laughs> yeah. Billy Is that your real last name? I don't think so. I, I think, think Chris would get be. run out of town on a rail. <laughs> How it's pronounced. People would say Chris these days, right? Sure. Sure. I mean, that, that's got to be a last name. C-H-R-I-S-T. Yes. If we have any listeners out there who that's your last name and you go by Christ, please write in. We want to hear all about your life. Yeah. Especially if it's Jimmy Christ. I would love to know you. <laughs> uh, and another big part, is it, especially as it pertains to the skeleton army, uh, who we'll learn about here in a minute, is that alcohol is bad. They were way, way into the temperance movement, mm-hmm. and alcohol was just a big, big evil, and that would factor really, really heavily into the goings-on between the Salvation Army and the Skeleton Army. Yes. They also, well, like we said, women can preach. That was mm-hmm. very radical, very progressive at the time. Um, and they also were super into music. I don't. I know. I didn't see why. I guess General Booth himself was particularly into music, because again, this whole this whole organization seems like an extension of him and his wife yeah. as well. Um, I don't want to just call her that, uh, Catherine. Yeah, yeah Catherine. Catherine's um, views as well. I think they kind of jibed really well together. But they're into the same bands. Exactly. <laughs> there was a um, a quote that's often attributed to George Booth. Um, that may or may not have been said by him, but it fits. It's why should the devil have all the best tunes? And I'm pretty right. sure he was making a, a veiled reference to Black Sabbath. Right. And eventually uh, Striper. <laughs> no. He would have been way into Striper. I was reading about them the other day. Striper. I can't believe I didn't tell you this. Did you? How far did you follow them? When did you leave off from Striper? When did I leave the Striper army? Yes. Uh, I, uh, you know, as I sort of transitioned out of going to church, so that would have been like middle high school, 
So they were still doing like the the black and yellow. Yellow and black attack? Yes. <laughs> I think that was the name of one of their records. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were still around. I think this was right before they had their, they had a, like a secular ballad hit. Okay, yes. So that's, yes, they, they, you transitioned and shortly after that, they transitioned and they left all that God stuff behind and um, le- released a couple of albums and it, they did not do very well. And I think they were pretty surprised. <laughs> they thought, well, we'll just go more mainstream mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't work. They were more successful mainstream wise as a Christian, uh, Christian forward um, metal band than they were yeah. as like a regular metal band. Yeah, the the Sweet Brothers. Is that who they were? Yeah, Michael and Matthew Sweet. Like Matthew Sweet? I I want you to be my girlfriend, Matthew Sweet? No. Uh, In fact, maybe it wasn't Matthew. Maybe I'm conflating. But I know Michael Sweet was, I think he was the the singer. Okay. Michael Sweet, and then I think the drummer was Jimmy Christ. (laughs) No, actually. Oh, man, I remember some of those names. I don't remember. (laughs) Or maybe the drummer was the other brother. I remember he played Sideways. Oh, did he? That's awesome. Which is interesting. Do you still have the action figures? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know if I still have that record. I'll have to look through my vinyl. Yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, I was into that for a little while. <laughs> okay. Well, at any rate, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't remember how I was reading about Striper, but I was reading all about their career the other day. I don't know how I stumbled it's on It's easy it. to fall into a Striper rabbit hole if you're of a <laughs> well, certain age. I did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were into music. The thing is, is, and they wanted to use music, not Striper, talking back about the Salvation Army. Again, <laughs> although they, Striper wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to use music to get God's message across. Absolutely. Unlike Striper, they had zero musical talent, but were very happy to be as loud as possible. So mm-hmm. you know the image you have of like temperance people and like kind of um, uh, old like goody two-shoes Christians in the 19th century banging on a huge drum singing songs about Jesus and all that? Sure. That is based in reality. That was the Salvation Army. And everyone who wasn't in the Salvation Army loathed them for that. Yeah. It was pretty annoying if you were enjoying a pint in a pub and the Salvation Army came around. Yeah, because in addition to going to the poor, where the poor were, they figured if you want to save sinners, go to where the sinners are. So they would storm into pubs and start singing (laughs) religious hymns at the top of their lungs, banging drums, like telling people they were going to hell. And these people are just trying to unwind, you know, after a hard day's work at the docks mm-hmm. uh, or who knows. Or they had no job and they were just getting loaded. Yeah. Or they're <laughs> celebrating a promotion at the docks. I don't know. The thing mm-hmm. is, they did not want to hear that at the time. And even if you weren't in the pubs, just hearing them go down the street preaching all day, Sunday, sometimes during the week, too, they really purposefully made a nuisance of themselves because they were really assertive and hostile almost in, in shoving their message about um, salvation down everyone's throat, whether they wanted to hear it or not. All right. I think that sets the stage. Time sure. for a break? Yes, for sure. All right. For sure. We'll be right back after this. You bet. <laughs> Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. 
that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so the stage is set. The Salvation Army is uh, firmly in place, and they are going around, aside from doing great things for the poor, they are going around and uh, going to pubs and banging their pots and pans and their drums, and they're singing all these uh, religious songs, and the people do not like it. So that is the sort of the position that they're in at this point. Um So what forms is what's called the skeleton army to literally combat the Salvation Army. Uh, Ed helped us out with this one. And there's um, I would I would argue that there aren't two origins. There's one origin, but the sort of second part of the origin story we'll get to. Is that fair to say? It's fair, but confusing. Sure. All right. Well, the first, you know, basically how they formed is what we've been talking about. They were literally just annoyed at the Salvation Army uh, coming around 
telling them not to drink, singing songs, and loudly preaching and disrupting their their uh, pub time. And so the initial sort of response was just jeering at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, why don't you sit down and have a beer? You know, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, being very sarcastic. And then things started just to escalate sort of little by little because these were drunks, basically. Right. Uh, and when you're someone engaging a drunk and telling them not to drink, uh, that's not going to go over too well, and tempers will genuinely flare at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, at the I think we said the Salvation Army set itself up in 1878. By 1879, the first newspaper account of a clash between the Salvation Army and people who hated the Salvation Army uh, made it into a newspaper. Um, I think there was a, a incident in Liverpool. And this is not yeah. the first incident. This is just the first incident that got written up in the paper. Right. Um, and the reason it got written up is because there was a riot, a riot. People hated what the Salvation Army was doing so much that they would they would often trigger riots whenever they they started doing their marches. Um, and they they were roundly blamed for this. Like at the time, as we'll see, it kind of came out differently in the end. But everyone blamed them for just existing and doing what they were doing. They they felt that. The Salvation Army was responsible for the riots that the people who were against the Salvation Army would carry out when the Salvation Army came around. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, 79, like you said, was the first noted one uh, in Liverpool. And then, you know, if you read uh, contemporaneous accounts, uh, which we did mm-hmm. of, of the time, they just started popping up here and there. Uh, in March of 81, uh, in the East End of London, there were some guys leaving a pub and they beat up a bunch of Salvation Army, uh, I guess, what would they be called? Soldiers? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, there were some Salvationist women, which they were called Hallelujah Lasses was a nickname, mm-hmm. uh, that were entrapped uh, with some rope by the crowd. They were getting hot coals thrown at them. Uh, and this sort of played out how it played out in most places. Things got pretty ugly when I joked about uh, throwing dead rats at them. Uh, I wasn't kidding. That was a real thing that they did. Apparently dead rats and live cats in at least one instance. Yeah. There was another instance where there was a guy who was testifying um, during a Salvation Army um, meeting and 40 people with chamber pots stormed the meeting and dumped urine all over the man. Yeah. That happened. They were, he, they were in their own meeting. They weren't even out on the street or in a pub. That's how hated these people were. They would be physically assaulted. They would have um, uh, they would have just all sorts of stuff thrown at them. In addition to dead rats, dead fish, um, yeah. and there were plenty of accounts of not just men but also women and even children being assaulted by the crowds. Like yeah. you said, the hallelujah lasses were basically roped with hot coals thrown at them. There was a an account somewhere that said between twelve months. This would have been in the probably the early eighteen eighties. Across England, 669 Salvationists, 251 of those were women, were, quote, knocked down, kicked, or brutally assaulted. 56 buildings of the army were stormed and partially wrecked. That was another thing that um, people against the Salvation Army like to do. They like to try to burn down their meeting halls, sometimes while they were in it. And then uh, 86 Salvationists, 15 of them women, were thrown in prison. So, like, that was a... It was a really like hardcore thing to go out and do as a um a Salvation Army soldier. Yeah, oh absolutely. And so yeah, I hope he didn't paint it as as too uh 
light of a brush, like, oh, they would just sort of, you know, yell at them and jeer at them and throw dead rats and things. It got physically violent. It was not a good scene. Um, the Salvation Army, for their part, uh, when you mentioned the music, one thing that they were fond of was, uh, and they still do that today in England, is they take popular songs uh, and change the words at, like, soccer games, at their football games. Mm-hmm. Like these old school, like, pub sing-alongs, they would change it to their local pub or their local football team or whatever. And so the history of just changing lyrics, um, I mean, I say it's a little lazy, quite honestly. Maybe write a new song altogether, but that's okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, but they would do that. The Salvation Army would do that. So they would take popular pub songs, change up the lyrics to suit them and their Christian message, uh, Ed dug up some of the titles that were pretty great. Uh, oh, every land is filled with sin is not bad. My favorite is the devil and me. We can't agree. I hate him and he hates me. Which sounds like agreement. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's true now that I think about it. Mm. Uh, but just this is what's going on. Like this only angered the people in the pubs even more because they're like, those are our songs. And there are, hey, let's get drunk songs that we sing together. Mm-hmm. Don't change them around and sing them in our face because, uh, you know, I might assault you or dump urine on your head. Yeah, there was another song that kind of gets across the Salvation Army sentiments about the places they were visiting. It's called Out of the Gutters We Pick Them. Yeah. And there was, I read that there was um, resentment among a lot of the um, lower working class uh, groups who were getting visited by these people being helped out with their poverty-strickenness. We were like, uh, this is my neighborhood that you're talking about and singing about right. is the gutter. So they offend, They managed to offend and annoy essentially everybody. And yet what was really interesting about this is that they started to grow. Like each Sunday, there'd be more and more of them and more and more of them. And you'd, they, they would, like their meeting halls would get bigger and bigger because there were more Salvation Army members who had joined, who had been picked out of the gutter or who had said, I'm giving up the devil drink or for whatever reason, had decided to join the Salvation Army and were now the very people who uh, were annoying their former selves. Yeah, or their friends. Mm-hmm. Man, I'll bet that was uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so they had other tactics. Um, the Salvation Army had white uniforms, so they would try and mar those uniforms in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is there was a narrow alley, uh, leading to one of their meeting halls and they would paint a sticky tar, uh, on the alley walls. They would throw eggs, uh, that had blue paint in them. Mm-hmm. Um, they would then in turn sometimes take the original pub songs that they had changed Salvation Army into Christian songs back into more body versions of their Christian songs and sing them back into them mm-hmm. uh, and even mess with their old uh, sort of motto, which was uh, soup, soap. What was the third one? Salvation. Soup, soap, salvation to beer, beef, beer, and baca, which is tobacco. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty hilarious. So Yeah, so there, people were getting creative, but it was also truly violent at times. It was. And even if it wasn't violent, think about how annoyed you'd be if you weren't on either side. Because right. the people who would give the greatest resistance and and um, and hostility toward the Salvation Army were the exact same people that would do this in a pub today. 20-somethings who are like already feeling pretty rowdy, probably uh-huh. the drunkest of the people in the pub. Yeah, Imagine yeah. just being like us, Chuck. We're just trying to have like right. a beer in, the, in a booth. <laughs> 
And not uh-huh. only is the Salvation Army going off, but now it's being doubly amplified because the other people, these hooligans, are essentially pushing back just as loud, if not louder. I would just yeah. be like, shut up. <laughs> well, that's why we end up in a coffee house and, we, and then we've lost all credibility as cool guys. We, could, we end up in a coffee house and we just bring our own flasks. Right. <laughs> oh, there you go. We just regained some credibility. Did we ever have credibility as cool guys? I did. What oh, about you? I did not. Yeah, you did. I did not. Yeah, I, I did I'm not. a cool guy, and I know other cool guys. You've always been a cool guy. Man, <laughs> I did not. Uh, so we should talk a little bit about uh, Susanna uh, Beatty. Um, she was a captain in the Salvation Army uh, who died in either 1881 or 1882. Mm-hmm. And the Salvation Army will say, and there are some contemporaneous accounts, too, that we saw in newspapers and stuff, mm. where she was essentially killed by the Skeleton Army. Uh, she was beaten. Uh, I saw in one of the newspapers that said she was kicked in her womb. I, wish, I was hoping you weren't going to say that. That is so tough to hear. Even It read. is. And, well, and I don't know if that implies that she was pregnant because I didn't see that. I don't, I don't know. I think that what they were saying is she probably had internal bleeding from from okay. in her abdomen from those injuries. I couldn't quite tell, but uh, at, at the, you know, at the end of the day, she was uh, killed uh, by this skeleton army, which is, you know, horrific. And the Salvation Army today names her and celebrates her as their first uh, martyr. Right. Um, also, some uh, skeleton army member was killed by a cop, I think was cracked in the head with a baton. That's a skeleton um, army guy, right? Yeah, a skeleton army guy. But this sort of thing didn't, happen much in terms of the skeleton army and the police because it seems like the police in almost every case was anti-salvation army and it looks like depending on where you were and what was going on and who the particular uh, cop was may have even sort of helped things along or you know let the skeleton army go and maybe aided them a little bit in a lot of these riots yeah, I, I we kind of touched on it earlier um, that the the establishment wanted things just as they were. They didn't like this progressive, hostile Christian group like uh-huh. organizing the working classes, right? So they were since they were already in charge, they were basically, if not directly informing the courts and the police, like not to intervene against the skeleton army. And certainly, if anything, if you're going to arrest anybody, arrest those rabble rousers, the Salvation Army. So they right. had no like formal structural like protection, essentially. The cops just if they did anything, they usually arrested the Salvation Army members. Most of the time they didn't do anything because the power structure in each town was pretty much uh, diametrically opposed to the Salvation Army. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and then in that one article that you sent from back then, uh, uh it seems like a lot of these um, counter protests, if you want to call them that, or these rioters were either brewery owners or brewery owners and their employees. So it, it kind of became like a literal uh, war against like temperance and alcohol. It was so heavily intertwined right? because these brewers were like, we don't want these people coming in here and, and, you know, the writing's on the wall of what's going on in America and we're mm-hmm. not going to have a prohibition. So the brewers and their employees are like fighting back against these people preaching against alcohol. Yeah, and again, it's, I don't want to uh, like underestimate the impact that these, um, the idea that they were organizing the working class 
had on scaring the upper class as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Because at the time, if if you were, you know, wealthy, if you had a title, like you were in charge. If you were working class, you were not in charge. You could just, the best you could hope for is that the, the wealthy would look out for you when they were making laws, which probably didn't right. work out very much. So that was a big part of it too. And then also, even Protestants didn't like them. Because remember, George Booth was like, I don't like this church hierarchy stuff. I'm just going to go start preaching on the corner. That was very much carried into the Salvation Army. So um, the Protestant churches, uh, the Methodists in particular, were like, we don't like you. The Catholics really didn't like them because there was that whole Catholic-Protestant division that dated all the way back to the 16th century. Um, So basically, no one liked the Salvation Army, and everyone was essentially working against them. Yeah, for sure. Um, depending on, uh, I mean, it depends on kind of where you were and who was there as to how violent this could get. Mm-hmm. Um, if they, if there was like a sort of a younger, more rabble rousing preacher, uh, a lot of times, especially if it was a woman that was coming in and leading the charge, things could escalate a little more quickly. Right. Uh, I know there was a 23, uh, 23 year old woman, uh, a captain in the Salvation Army named Ada Smith who was really enthusiastic and really liked to get in the faces of these dudes in the pubs. And uh, other times, you know, it was someone who maybe wasn't quite as in your face and things didn't go quite as sideways. Uh, Apparently, if it was a tourist town or a port town, had a lot to do with it too, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. Because um, if it was a tourist town, you don't want like the Salvation Army running around telling everybody they're going to hell. That's not good for tourism. So they're actually directly affecting people's livelihoods. That's one. If it's yeah. a port town, there's probably a lot of drinking going on. So the 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 people in the town don't want to hear that. Uh, it, it was if it was a, a like say a country town, suburb of London, um, it, it was probably a little more genteel. I get the impression that the more rough and tumble the populace, the more um, incidents of violence. Uh, the the Salvation Army faced. But also, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like they weren't triggering people. They definitely were. That Captain Ada Smith you mentioned, mm-hmm. she was in Worthing. And Worthing was essentially ground zero for riots that took place in the mid-1880s. Like, straight-up mm-hmm. riots where the, the people were attacking the town hall because they were so upset about the Salvation Army being around. Like, they were they were provoking people for sure. I'm not blaming them for riots, like as we'll see in a minute that they were, but they definitely were provoking people intentionally as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Should we take another break? Yeah. All right. We'll take our second break and we'll talk about uh, the sort of where these guys might have come from on the Skeleton Army side to begin with. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper 
into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Skeleton Army um, is kind of this formalized term for the groups of people who essentially organize to to try to beat the Salvation Army out of town, do whatever they could to get rid of them, including yeah. lots and lots of violence. And again, trying to burn down their meeting halls and stuff. And um, the they there's a, a historian named, um, I think, John Hare, who wrote an article in 1988 in Folklore that Ed uh, found where he basically says um, there's a really high likelihood that the um, the skeleton armies actually grew out of what are called the bonfire boys or bonfire clubs who would celebrate the 5th of November, uh-huh. not the 5th of May, but the 5th of November, um, <laughs> in the same way that people used to celebrate um, Devil's Night in Detroit. By just burning down everything in sight and marching and just causing trouble and getting super drunk. Yes. Uh, and as a, we'll probably do one on this in full at some point, but uh, remember, remember the 5th of May. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We're laughing because Josh said may and we cut it out. Yeah. Or did we leave it in? I think we cut it out. I guess we'll see. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the 5th of November, um, goes back to, if you, anyone has ever seen, uh, the movie V for Vendetta. So good. Uh, with Natalie Portman. Good movie. And Guy Pierce. Uh, yeah, of course. Or no. Uh, and, yeah, it was Guy Pierce, right? No, it was the weird, um, clone guy from the Matrix. Him. Oh. He was. Really? He, yeah, he was the dude. The, uh, Mr. Anderson. Yes. Yeah. What's, uh, Hugh, uh, what's that guy's name? Hugh Laurie. <laughs> uh, in 1605, there were Catholic conspirators who tried to blow up Parliament uh, because that would have killed the Protestant King James the First, and hoped that there would be a Catholic King uh, to fill that role, uh, to fill that power vacuum. It's a great point. And and England would be, you know, back to being a Catholic nation uh, after the the split from uh, in 1534 that you talked about earlier that King Henry the Eighth brought about yep uh so remember remember the 5th of november um every november 5th there was and i believe still is just a lot of sort of celebrations Mm -hmm. uh big parties big bonfires uh they would light tar barrels on fire uh it got pretty rowdy and like you said they were called the bonfire clubs and there are historians and namely that one guy you talked about who basically say these guys were still around in the 1870s and 1880s and there's a lot of evidence that kind of shows that they were probably also like, hey, we, we've got pitchforks, we've got torches, <laughs> uh, we have the same sort of anti-establishment attitude, mm-hmm. so we'll just sort of start doing Skeleton Army stuff as well. Right. There was actually a, um, a 1885 article in the Sussex Coast Mercury newspaper that basically said that they were um, – watching the the skeleton club, the new skeleton club there in Worthing that had been formed March. And they mm-hmm. were actually using the old bonfire club banner. Like they didn't even yeah. bother to create a new one. They just basically <laughs> slapped skeleton over bonfire club just to get the point across here that like these were the exact same people, essentially. They just took their bonfire club thing and actually directed it toward a purpose. It was purposeless before. It was all celebratory, rabble-rousing. Now it was, we're actually going to use those same tactics to get the Salvation Army out of town. Yeah, exactly. Um, they, the Skeleton Army would uh, usually black their faces. Sometimes they did wear masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to let each other know like who they were, they would wear uh, the color yellow somewhere, a lot of times with like a, uh, like a ribbon or some kind mm-hmm. uh, or a sunflower to identify one another. And yeah, it seems like that they were basically the same people uh disguise well not you know kind of thinly disguised sure. as the skeleton army and these things would just happen all over the place in england until uh someone would come in read the riot act literally and break it up and say you know you you have to disperse now sometimes that that went okay and sometimes it didn't yeah so the riot act i i didn't actually know the um origin of it did you yeah oh you did know mm-hmm. english major so um, I didn't realize that, so I'm going to explain it to people who didn't realize it either, okay? No, you should. So when you read somebody the riot act, you're basically like telling them that you don't like how they're acting, and you give them a warning about if they act that way any further, they're going to have their iPhone taken away or something. Right. <laughs> that, there's actually a riot act from 1714, the British Riot Act, and what you would do is if you were, um, you know, rioting, if you were breaking stuff, if you were a rowdy crowd— 
the army would come out and read the riot act that basically said, you got to stop what you're doing and disperse or the army's going to make you disperse. Yeah. And if you didn't disperse after reading the, the riot act, then the army would be forced to make you disperse. And these, the skeleton armies um, throughout England, I think more than once, uh, had the riot act read and had the army called out on them because they were rioting so hard against the, the Salvation Army. Riot Hard is a great album title. For Striper. Right. Yeah, maybe. For the new Striper. Are they still together? Did you find that out in your deep dive? I don't remember the, where the last album was, but I'm pretty sure it was in the 2000s. So I, they okay. might be. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I, Sorry. I could I could see them still playing shows with like uh, less teased hair, but still sort of long and maybe like a, a half-shaven beard kind of thing. Yeah. Well, do you remember when we saw D. Snyder? Oh, yeah, that's right. I can imagine that they probably look a lot like D. Snyder these days compared to how D. Snyder used to look. Yeah, we were on a talk show. This is back when people used to call us for stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, early on, we got way more press and like invites to be on TV than we do now. I'm fine with that. I like it now. Oh, no. I, I totally am. I don't want to go. I like being put out to pasture. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, D. Snyder was also a guest on the show, and we and we met him like not in the green room, but like backstage or something. I would say in passing. Yeah, he was yeah. one way. We're like, hey, D. Snyder, <laughs> he just kind of gave us like a, a heads up, if I remember correctly. I think, and we were on first, and I think our joke at the time was that we opened up for Twisted Sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this last part that we're going to talk about, I don't fully, fully understand. To be honest, uh, it has to do with. Um, the court system and whether or not uh, and, and peaceful assembly yeah. and whether or not uh, you can say, hey, it's a peaceful assembly. If you know you're going there and you're going to egg on people that will react in violence, uh, is that still a peaceful assembly? Yeah, it ties into what I was saying earlier, that people used to blame the Salvation Army, including the courts, for inciting riots just from doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So while they were loud and they were singing off key and they were um, in your face about how you were going to hell, they they were still under English law assembling peaceably. They weren't breaking right. stuff. They weren't breaking. They weren't breaking any laws. They weren't um, hurting anybody like physically or anything like that. So technically, it was a peaceable assembly. But because almost invariably in some of these towns, when they showed up and did their thing, a riot would break out. The Salvation Army was held responsible in the courts for triggering riots. And they're like, you can't assemble anymore because you oh, incite okay. riots, your very presence. And finally, some appellate court in the United Kingdom was like, that, that don't quite track. Right. They said something like, um, what has happened here is that an unlawful organization has assumed to itself the right to prevent the appellants and others from lawfully assembling together. Okay. Basically saying that um, a man may be convicted for doing a lawful act if he knows that his doing it may cause another to do an unlawful act. And the extent of that is, is that you're not responsible for the act of another person. If they're, It's like if you trigger somebody and they punch you in the face. They're in trouble for punching you in the face. You're not in trouble for triggering them. Right. As, as much as you despise what the, the person might be saying— they might be saying it right in your face. You can't hit them. That's breaking the law. Yeah, yeah. Telling somebody that they're going to hell right in their face, it's not breaking the law. And so that actually established precedent in the um, English-speaking world in, I think, 1860, 18, 
AD 2. Uh, Beatty versus Gilbanks established that the Salvation Army had the right to peaceably assemble, even if it triggered riots. And that really kind of led to the idea that you can peaceably assemble, even if the people don't want to hear what you have to say uh, and will riot. It's it's on the rioters, not on you, the person provoking them. Yeah. And I think the question since then has been the sort of gray area of what constitutes a peaceful assembly. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah, if you're like a young anarchist, are you going to sue the government for breaking up your peaceable assembly? Good Probably luck. not. So you're really kind of at the at the mercy of whatever mayor or police chief yeah. uh, who runs the town that you're, you're assembling in. But there's a law in, uh, or there's a case that set precedent in 1977, National Socialist Party of America versus Village of Skokie. There was a bunch of Chicago Nazis that wanted to march in Skokie where the, which had a huge population of Jewish Holocaust survivors. Right. And Skokie said, no, you can't do that here. And the Nazis sued them and won. They didn't actually ever march, but they won that case. And it, is, it established that that no matter how reprehensible your views, you have a right to say them Right. Uh, in America. It's part of your First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And that that is what the Blues Brothers are referencing when they said they hate Illinois Nazis. And they drive through that bandstand and make Henry Gibson and his Nazi friends jump into the river. Mm, That's what they're talking about. Is that, yeah, that case. That's pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool too. Uh, You got anything else? I got nothing else. This is this is good. (laughs) I thought it was good too. Who was it, Corey? Uh, That was from Corey. Great suggestion, Corey. Great suggestion, Corey. And yes, this was a good one, Chuck. Uh, Since Chuck said this was a good one, and I agreed, I think it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this nice little additional nugget of info from John. Uh, hey, guys, I was listening to the episode on the Franklin Expedition. Uh, longtime listener, first-time writer, by the way. Mm-hmm. In the episode, you uh, collaborated to make up the pun name for a bad sailor, uh, Leadfoot McCant Swim. <laughs> I didn't remember that until he wrote it. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and it brought up a nugget of a fact I learned a few months ago. I'm not sure if you were making this joke because of this, that you knew a lot of sailors back in that time couldn't swim. But you were right. Uh, Many sailors back in the day couldn't swim for a number of reasons. Uh, They ranged from a lack of resources such as warm water uh, and time in which to learn uh, to the desire of not to prolong suffering, which might happen if you were to find yourself overboard. Like, just go go down, I guess. That's pretty hardcore. (laughs) Pretty hardcore. Uh, Sadly, stopping a ship or uh, going back to save a sailor uh, did not or could not have happened very often. So drowning might be the fastest and easiest way to go. Uh, picked up this nugget from Peter Stark's book, Astoria, uh, that covered the origins of Astoria, Oregon, being set up as a private trading colony by John Jacob Astor in an attempt to monopolize the Pacific fur trade. Uh, if you're ever running low on topics, this would be a great episode. Oh, nice. uh, but I don't expect you're running low, so I plan on hearing about it in about 20 years. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Who Look was Corey. that? Uh, that's from John. He says, thanks for the knowledge. Yeah, you never know, John. Thank you for the knowledge. We appreciate you big time. That's a good one. Non-swimming sailors. Yeah, I did not see Oregon fur trading coming into that story, but here we are. Yep. Well, if you want to be like John and get in touch with us and make a suggestion for an episode, we'd love that kind of thing. You can wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.